0: Maybe you heard the song. I'm a long-time U2 fan. Amazingly, they were around back when I was in high school. Um, always appreciated their music. Uh, always been intrigued with their front man, their lead singer, Bono. Uh, a man who prof- uh, professes faith, clearly has a, a pretty amazing grasp on Christianity. Uh, and that's one of my favorite songs, called One. Interesting song. Uh, He and his uh, bandmates were in Germany after the Berlin Wall went down. They went there right to Berlin looking for some inspiration for their next album. Um, Working together. It kind of was difficult. They weren't finding that song. And uh, all of a sudden, one came to them. As a matter of fact, Bono says that the lyrics kind of like fell out of heaven. It was amazing. They just fell out of the sky. It was kind of like a gift. And it was an interesting concept. So he writes this song called One. We are one and yet we are not the same. He says that we get to carry one another. Great uh, beat, great lyrics, great song. But interestingly, listen to this. This is how he got the thought of one. The Dalai Lama of all people asked him, To come to a conference called oneness. And he wrote back a note to the Dalai Lama. I'm sure you've written many to the Dalai Lama. And he said, one but not the same. And it kind of became uh, the impetus for that song. Now, i got to tell you, I have some theological difficulties with his message to the Dalai Lama. Because I would argue of oneness with those who haven't embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because the only way we are one, one with God and the Father and the Holy Spirit, if by God's grace He comes into our lives, gives us a new heart of flesh, gives us the ability to embrace Christ as Savior. Scripture says we become a new creation in Christ. Unbelievably, Scripture says our sins are forgiven, that we're robed in Christ's righteousness. But something unbelievably grand takes place. We become one one with one another, and we are united to God. It's interesting also, uh, I read uh, U2's uh, book, their biography, uh, and Bono says that when they performed that song, he used to get irritated because people would sing the lyrics wrong. He must be really irritated with me. I sing everything wrong. As a matter of fact, don't know why Jack has us sing male part, female parts, because I start belting out at the female parts, until I right place elbow in the ribs. Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to sing. But the problem was, is people were singing, we are one, we're not the same, and they're saying that we have the privilege, we get to carry one another. No, they said we carry one another. He says, no, no, we have that privilege. We have to carry one another. And it intrigues me, because that's really the church. This is what we've been looking at through the book of Ephesians. We are going to take a turn here. We've looked at this mystery of God in the book of Ephesians. The mystery that God would send forth his son Jesus into this world to unite all things in Christ. That's the whole purpose. He says it's an unbelievable mystery that God is going to unite everything. And not just here on earth, but in heaven and earth in Christ Jesus. If you look at uh, Ephesians 1... Verses 9 and 10, very clearly, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to lay out for us what is this mysterious plan revealed to us in the book of Ephesians. That he is making, uniting all things in Christ. One through three, basically, we have this message. How did God the Father, through Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit, make us one in Christ? And we can't pass this blow by. That's an amazing mystery of making us one. The first thing he had to do is God says he had to take those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, that includes every single one of us, and make us alive. So there's a mystery that God would come in, in the form of Christ and to make dead men and women alive in Christ. It's an incredible work. But also he would do even more. That Jesus came not just to give us life and life abundantly, thank you Jesus, but He's also come to unite us. He's come to make us one. And really a a major part of chapter 2 is this mystery that God is making one, what He calls one new man, or one new humanity. Jesus came to unite us, but listen, to make us as we've always intended to be, with the Father. In holiness through Christ, united to one another, we are a new humanity. We are a new family. So one through three is really saying this is how it happened. This is how God, and listen, we can never forget. God is the one who always initiates with us. God is the hero. It's by God's grace that we are saved. It's been God's plan before the foundation of the earth that he would call us to himself, that he would make us family. So unbelievably, this mystery that is unfolded in chapters 1 through 3 is how we are made one in Christ. And now Paul, as any good pastor would, is going to turn the corner and say, now let me tell you how you are to live as one in Christ. So that's where we begin today. How now are we to live? God says we've been made alive. God says that we've been united. Uh, God says that we are to live in a new way. We are one in Christ, but we are not the same. This morning's message is going to look at that unity in Christ right on the heels of this. Verses 7 and following, we'll look at our diversity in Christ. Each one of you is unique. Each one of you is gifted differently. And it makes the puzzle of this Christianity and the beauty of the body of Christ even more compelling. But more about that next week. And this morning we have the privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is is a tangible, pliable, tasting reminder that God wants us to know. Here's what He wants to say. This is a story and a meal. I want you to know that we are one. Jesus is going to say, remember. And I want you to know the cost of becoming one. I want you to know the sacrifice that Jesus would take. To unite us and make us alive. And this meal is also to say, we take it to maintain our unity. Because we do have a tendency to drift apart. All right, so you ready? That's kind of the intro. Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you didn't bring your Bibles, no worries. Uh, The words will be on the screen uh, behind me. But if you're reading them in your lap, or if you're hearing them, or you're seeing them on the screen, let's all be mindful. This is Jesus' love letter to us. Uh, This is holy and errant word. It will never lead us astray without error. And we have such a blessing to be able to sit under the authority of God's word. And this is the authority. Paul writes to the church in uh, Ephesus and to us in Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul, throwing his apostolic weight, reminding them of the, uh, uh, his ministry and the results of his ministry. Even uh, in prison, he can't be muted. And here he is going to urge us and remind us of the calling that we've received and to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Oh, Father God, how desperately I need you this morning. As I stand before your people as you have given me the privilege to do many times before. Father, I'm in awe of your calling on my life. And I want to say thank you. But God, what is abundantly clear is that we don't need to hear my opinion, my thoughts, my musings. Because, Father, they don't amount to anything. What we need to do, because You are here with us today and Your Spirit is urging us, is calling us, that we need to live our lives worthy of the Gospel. So that we, what we need now, Father, is Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit power that comes and speaks through a broken vessel and speaks to your children, your sheep. So, Spirit of the living God, fall upon us afresh today with power. I acknowledge my weakness, but claim the power of Christ and the preach word. Father, open up our ears to hear from our Master, our Lord, our Good Shepherd, Jesus Father, may the spirit of living God come and shine the light of Christ into our minds and so that we can understand this. This is so important for us to live this way. So, Father, shine the light of your word and the light of your truth and the light of your love and grace into our minds. Father, I pray that in a supernatural way, you will wrap your arms and your hands around our hearts. And, Father, give us hearts that believe Give us hearts that trust and embrace. Give us hearts that beat uh, after you. And Father God, remove uh, our unbelief and remove the stoniness that remains in our hearts of sin. Father, you call us to walk today. You call us to a walk, a, a, a way of life that reflects what Jesus has done for us. So God, would you please empower our feet so that we can walk out of here with boldness, and with confidence, and with courage, but also in a manner worthy of the gospel. Father, I pray that you and you alone would receive glory. I also pray that God, that what is true and what contains in the good news of Christ, that you would use those things to make us more like Jesus, our Savior, your Son. And Father, the things that are wrong, or merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory. We receive joy and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to follow along in your bulletin, you'll find an outline this morning, as usual. The first thing we want to look at, again, very briefly, is this mysterious work of God to make us one. That God has made us one in Christ. And what I want to take you to this morning is the fact that this incredible work of God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this triune God's word to unite us to Christ, is really in answering to Jesus' prayer. Because in John 17, what we will call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, at the end of his life, he is calling out to his Father, and he is praying for us. He says he's praying for us. He says to his Father, "...I'm praying that you will make them one." Look, to, look with me if you have your Bibles to John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And we're going to pick up Jesus' prayer there. And it says this. He's praying to his Father, of course. And he says, I do not ask for these only. These are the disciples, but he's asking for us. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That includes me. I believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior through the Word of the disciples, through God's Word. And that includes many, I hope all of you, who are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is praying for us in this passage. In verse 21, He says this, "...that they, you and me, may all be one." That was Jesus' prayer. It was His ministry. "...just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us." so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Church, did you just hear what he said? Jesus is saying that our unity with the Father and our unity with one another, our becoming one, is what Jesus wants to show the world that he is real, that he loves and he's good, that he's come to rescue us so that the world can see the way we ridiculously love one another because we ridiculously love Him because He ridiculously first loved us. And because He has loved us so much, now the world will see the fact that, yes, we may be white and black and Hispanic, poor or rich. We might be all over the board uh, racially. We might be all over the Lord economically. But in Christ Jesus' church, we are one. And our oneness is to be a tool in the Father's hand to bring more to Himself. He should look at us and see us as truly family, truly in love with Him and one another in such a compelling way that folks will say there is a God. There is something about those people that's mysterious the way they love one another. And you see, this is an answer to Jesus' prayer. The Holy Spirit has come to fulfill that prayer. We looked at that in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has come and has united us, has made us one. And you ready for this? It's made us the dwelling place of God. Orangewood, that is what we are. We are the dwelling place of God's Spirit right here. We are the place where heaven and earth meet. Go figure. We're the place where this new humanity in Christ is supposed to live and to love and to proclaim the way we live and the way we love, set free by the work of grace and the work of Christ. Isn't that good news? And I can't tell you enough, set free by the work of Christ. Listen, let us love Him in response to the way He ridiculously and radically loved us. Here's some incredible good news. We don't have to perform to earn His love or to be accepted into His family by His grace and through the work of His Son. We already are loved. We were loved before time began. We have been set free by Christ. And now... We respond compelled by love. That was, yes, last week's sermon. But we can't get enough of that. It's the love of Christ that compels us. And really, it should be to the world a sign that Jesus' ministry was successful, that the Father is loving, and the Spirit of the living God is here among us. But Paul has an urgent call to maintain our unity. Look again in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He has urgency, and in his voice, is kind of a big therefore, all that God has done in Christ through the Spirit. Therefore, a prisoner uh, for the Lord, I urge you, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he tells us how we are to walk. Uh, worthy, it's an interesting Greek word here of worthy. Worthy basically is giving, it's, it's like a picture of a scale. It's giving equal weight. You, listen, you and I have, those of us who proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior, we have this weight that we proclaim that we believe. That there should be a scale in our life that measures, that's equal to what we proclaim is true. That He is the Lord of our lives. He is our Savior. He is our best friend. He is, Jesus, the reason that we live and move and have our very being. And so what this worthy really means is this. Walk your talk. Your life should have an equal balance of what you profess and what you do. Now, we all know that we're prone to wander. We all know that we sin. We all know that sometimes the scale's not going to be right. But let me remind you again and again and again... He doesn't love us because of that scale. He loves us as a mysterious, eternal love as His children set free by the blood of the Lamb. But now Paul is saying, let me just tell you, be worthy of that calling. Walk your talk. How is it with you? Are you walking your talk with Christ? And I love this verse, calling, this word calling. You'll hear, you'll see that He uses that actual word, if you have the EASV or probably the NASB translation, that's the true uh, translation of what is happening in four one. Calling. God wants us to be reminded that it is His calling on our lives. He is the great initiator. We should remember, uh, Ephesians 1.4, that it is God who called us to Himself, predestined us to Himself before time began. Ephesians 1.4. So, Paul, in this wonderful pastoral tone, is reminding us over and over again, you've been called. You've been called. You've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. You've been called. You who once were children of of wrath have been called into His love and have been set free. You're calling. You're calling. You're calling. I want that to resonate deep within each one of you who truly called Jesus Lord. You have been called to Him. And now He says walk. Again, interestingly, is that the entertainer? I mean, I feel like I should start dancing. Uh, um, Didn't Joe Creech have that go? Was it Joe Creech? Is that your cell phone, Joe Creech? You see what happens? You introduce that in the worship service. Now someone copied you, and I was just on a roll. All right, let's look at another thing. Paul's going to talk about his walk. Walk worthy. Walk to Paul is basically your lifestyle, okay? It's basically the way you and I live our, our, our lives. It's called a walk, a walk of life, okay? But I want you to see that it's an interesting way that Paul uses walk. He tells us that we formerly walked, Ephesians 2.1, we formerly, before we knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we formerly walked in darkness. We formerly walked uh, uh, in disobedience, And now he says that we've been created to walk in Christ. It's an incredible verse in verse 210. He says that for those of us who are family in Christ, that we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works. That's why he's rescued us. That's why he saved us. So that our walk would be different than the world's. Church, Orangewood, if our lifestyle, if our values, if we look just like everyone else does, if we can say, yeah, there's no distinction between those who have been set apart, the church, called out of darkness, and the world, we've missed it. Paul is saying we got to walk in a manner worthy. We have been created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works. Um, Now he tells us how to walk. This is, this is the next several chapters is how we are to walk in Christ. It's urgent because, listen, listen to this. There's an urgency to this because Jesus died to bring us together. Do you believe that? Jesus died so that we could have unity with the Father and unity with one another. We must not let the unity in Christ die. It's amazingly how flippantly we can look at church unity. It's amazing that we can think it's not a big deal. I'll just go if I want to go and slide in and slide out. I don't really need to connect with one another. Not true. God has created you for me and me for you. He's created us to be one. He's created us to walk in unity. He's created us to fight hard for unity. And churches are replete with just stupid disunity. We argue and fight over the dumbest things. And Jesus died so we could be one. And the world needs to see that reality that we are one in Christ. Okay, so how, much we, how must we walk? Well, Paul will tell us, that. I'm going to couple these there together. We're to walk with humility and gentleness. That the way we live our lives, we should see humbleness and gentleness in our lives. Basically, I'll take you to Ephesians 5.1. It says this, Be imitators of God, His dearly loved children. We are to walk as Christ walked. Matthew 11.29 says this, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ultimate warrior, the ultimate man, said this, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest, For your souls. We live in a Western world that thinks humility and gentleness are sissy virtues. We really do. I mean, humbleness and gentleness aren't really for the strong or the proud, but according to God's word, we are to be humble and gentle, and it's only for the most powerful those who are in Christ. We need to humble ourselves enough to see others. We live in such a me-first society. It's all about me. And I tell you, I struggle with that too. But we've got to be humble enough to really see others. And I think of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 3-5. through It says this. Do nothing, church of the living God. Do nothing, Orangewood, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Do nothing out of it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in all things, consider those sitting next to you and those around you, consider them better than yourselves, no matter who you are. Consider their needs more important than their, yours. Consider that your, their name more important than their, yours. Consider others. That each of us, 2-5 says this, each of us should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. That is supposed to be our walk in humbleness and in gentleness humble enough to see others. Not living our lives saying, do you know who I am? But living our lives saying, do you know who you are? Just think about this. Just dream with me for a minute. Can you imagine if we left here and we wanted to live our lives letting others know who they are and not have a do you know who I am mentality? Can you imagine if we came in contact with whoever it is and we knew as soon as we saw them that they were image bearers of God? That we knew their incredible worth in God's eyes, reflecting His image, and that we were going to live our lives as a church and as individuals trying to let people know their worth and value in Christ. Wow! This world, this community, this church would be set upside down. And the kingdom would be advanced if we could live our lives humbly, seeing others, gently, enough to empower others. We need to have a posture here, Orangewood, is how do I serve you? How do I take what God has given me to strengthen you and to make you all that you need to be? This is what we see in Jesus. He is God Almighty. One of my favorite hymns growing up was uh, um, he, could have sent, he Could Have Called 10,000 Angels to Destroy the World and Set Them Free. Any former Baptist here know that song? All right, I sing every week. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. It goes on, he could have called 10,000 angels, but instead he died alone for you and me. That song pierced my heart as a young boy because I realized that he had the power and the authority to destroy the world. And yet, he humbly, because he loved you and he loved me, and he was honoring the obedience to the Father, he died. He set aside that power. He didn't use it for his own interests even taking Him off a cross. If God has given you power, and I know He has, maybe in prestige, maybe in money, maybe in relationships, if God has given you any kind of power and influence, God has given them to us to empower others. It's called gentleness. It's called meekness. And that is how Jesus walked and He's called us to walk similarly. Gentle enough like Jesus... And not only that, we're also going to walk with patience and tolerance. We're to be patient with others. Because you know what you and I are? We're works in progress. Is anybody here completely holy yet? Is anybody here sinless? Do you know that there was a movement here in America, a holiness movement, that there were people who thought that they'd arrived, that they no longer could sin, and we actually had ministers in the pulpit would stand up and say, I want you to know I haven't sinned in three years. I want to say, dude, you just sinned. Are you kidding me? You're arrogant. Are you kidding me? You're going to tell me you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength all the time, and your neighbors as yourself? I don't think so. Because none of us have arrived. Here's the reality. We all are works in progress. Every single one of us. And some have more work to do than others. And some of your work is a little bit straining on us. And some of my work is a lot straining on you. You've had to see it before your eyes in the last 16, 17 years here at Orangeville. We're works in progress. Be patient with one another. But here's what I want you to picture. We're all works in progress, but we're all masterpieces. This is what Jesus says. We are His masterpiece in Christ Jesus. How can we be patient with one another? It's only if we realize what Jesus is doing. In a sense... We are perfect in Christ. The work is finished. Our sins have all been paid for. We are robed in His righteousness. Amazing. We are His masterpiece today. But He's still working on us. I love what Hebrews 10.14 says. Through one sacrifice, He has made forever holy, ever perfect, those who are being made holy. That's us. Can we be patient with one another? We're in different places. Some of you are really smart. And some of you have been walking with Christ a long time. And by God's grace, and you should be filled with joy with this, we have people walking in this church that are just hearing the gospel for the first time. And I pray to God that makes your heart sing. And I love that people come out and they're asking me some basic questions about Christianity. Patient with one another. Long-suffering. Bearing with one another. That's what God is calling us to do, to carry one another. It's a privilege Bono was right. God did give him some inspiration there. We have the privilege of carrying one another. Galatians six one and two he calls it. That's our call. Our calling is to bear with one another, to carry one another, to love one another. How are we to walk as Christians in humility and gentleness? How are we to walk with one another with patience, bearing one another? I use the word tolerance. Let's just look at that for just a minute. This doesn't mean that we're tolerant of open sin. Scripture is very clear that if we love one another, we will speak the truth in love. And if there's someone in sin, someone that you know is cheating on a spouse or someone who's abusing drugs or someone who's in open sin, the most loving, God-honoring thing to do is to confront them. And say, let me just tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm brokenhearted for you. But love them. But this is bearing with one another, being tolerant of the reality that they're a work in process too. There's good news. We get to carry one another. And lastly, we walk in love, if nothing else. If nothing else, we walk in love. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, Ephesians 5.1. And then we need to walk in love. Why does a church often walk in judgment? Why does a church often walk with an air, Why does a church often feel like we have obtained something on our own and the world should look up to us? All that we have is by grace, all that we have is because He first loved us. The world needs to see us walk in love, in love with God's creation, in love with God's image, in love with God's bride, in love with one another. That's what we need to walk in. Walk in love. The foundation of our unity in verses four through six, and this is this is great, and um, we'll have to come back to this. But it's this: there is one body and one spirit. Uh, just as you were called to one hope, I want you to hear a word. Do uh, you think of a word that's used a lot here? Uh, shout it off! You of hear a lot. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you're called to one hope, which belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, all. What word does He want to emphasize there more than anything? One. One. The foundation of our unity is in one God. He's going to talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. It's, that's our unity comes from the unity of God. The most, probably the most important passage in the Old Testament, Shema uh, out of uh, Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. This is the New Testament version saying, we want you to know that the Lord is one. Look, at, there's one Spirit there listed. There's one Lord. There's one God and Father of us all. Just a second with each one of these, and then we'll come back. One body. We are one family. Some churches think that their church is the only family. Hello. One body is a truth for all born-again believers who have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. One body. It includes those who speak Russian, those who speak Chinese, those who speak Spanish, those who are worshiping right now in very formal attire, those who are worshiping in shorts. It includes those who... uh, um Worship in different forms than we do. We are one body. Mysteriously, God has called every tribe, tongue, and nation to Himself in Christ Jesus. There's one body. There's one Holy Spirit that dwells here among us. You don't have to be baptized in Him twice. There's once. If you're a born again believer, there's one Spirit who comes and gives you a new life. There's one hope, and that hope is only in Christ. Do you know that one hope? We can hope for a lot of things, but ultimately there's one hope, and that is that Christ is in the world and has come to reconcile the world to Himself and to the Father. There's one hope that He's coming back. There's one hope that He'll never give up on us. There's one hope that Jesus truly loves us. There's one Lord, and His name is Jesus. And Scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That one Lord is the only way, the only truth, the only life you know that one Lord? He's not one of many. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And by God's grace, we have the privileges as children to proclaim that now. That reality that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of my life. There is one faith. Not many faiths. You cannot write the Dalai Lama and say we are one. There is one true living faith in that one true living God and that one true living Son empowered by that one true living Holy Spirit. There is one faith in Christ and Christ alone. Everything else is sinking sand. One baptism. Should I start talking about baptism now? One baptism that's really into Christ and one God and Father of us all. He says that we need to make every effort to keep the unity of Christ. The church. Make every effort to keep our unity. Remember, Jesus died for us to be united. Every effort. I found myself in a very troubling situation this week. I was at the mall. I was in there with my daughter and wife. I was in Macy's. And it's amazing, they had kind of a 60s motif going on. A lot of psychedelic colors, uh, pictures of girls in headbands and guitars. I thought it was you know, some kind of time warp. And, and peace, is, peace is in vogue right now. You come out in the parking lot, you see the coexist bumper stickers. We realize that peace is in vogue. But Scripture very clearly tells us in Jeremiah and Ezekiel that we are not to proclaim peace where there is no peace. And there is no peace apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only peace we can ever have is a relationship with Him. And God has saved us and reconciled us to Him. So listen, so listen. Here's what we are now. We're now His ambassadors. We are now agents of peace. We are to be the ones who proclaim the radical love of God, that there is hope for peace in the world only through Jesus. We've been reconciled and given this ministry of reconciliation. It's yours and it's mine. We need to be reconciled with one another and reconciled with the Father, through Christ Jesus. And we got to tell a dying world that there is peace, but it's only found in a relationship in Jesus. This meal is a reminder that the only peace we could ever have is in Christ and it cost him his life to give us this peace. And now we have been empowered to go and to tell others, make peace. Every effort, Orangewood, to maintain the unity of this church. We need you. We need you here. We need you loving one another and connected. We need you making peace with your neighbors, ultimately with your Father. Carried, Jesus is the one who has made peace for us. He carried our sin to the cross. Listen. He carried your sin to the cross and he nailed it there. And this meal reminds us of the peace and unity we have with him. Feed on Christ and be reminded of the cost of our unity. And may that cost compel us to go. Let us pray. Father, would You come and would You feed us through this meal? Would You remind us, please, please, of Your Son's sacrifice for us? May the broken bread remind us of the broken body. May the wine, the juice, remind us of the shed blood. Father, it's a mystery that we have been made one in Christ. May we now truly walk in humility and gentleness and patience and and tolerance with one another because Christ has come and walked among us and set us free. Feed us again. Remind us again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.